Good morning. We are glad you're here today. We hope you've had a great weekend so far. Glad you can come with us to Great Oaks to start a new week, worshiping with God's people, ready to go out and live for God this week. For those of you that are visiting, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, we always like our visitors to know that we are simply trying to be Christians. Uh, we are not perfect. We know we got a ways to go, uh, but we are trying to follow Jesus Christ as best we can. And we are trying to be undenominational followers of Jesus. We think that's what Jesus wants. And if you have any questions about that, about us, about Christianity, please let us know. Uh, we are trying to follow the Lord. We'd love for you to join us in trying to follow the Lord and help each other do that. Really glad you're here today. Um, before we get going, a couple things we're excited about that I want to share before we get going. Samuel Matthews, could you stand up just a second and let us see you? This is Samuel Matthews. He met with our elders a couple weeks ago to let them know that he would like to be part of the Great Oaks Church family and serve God here. You can have a seat and I'll say a few things about you. His parents are here today, by the way, sitting just down from him. Um, and so we're glad you guys are here. So Samuel grew up in the Huntsville, Alabama area. Uh, he became a Christian while growing up with the Meridianville Church of Christ in that area. He went to Freed Harbin University. He just graduated a couple months ago with an accounting degree. And he is now working in the accounting field here in Memphis. For hobbies, he enjoys the outdoors. He enjoys disc golf, kayaking, and cheering for Auburn. So adding to our eclectic group of sports fans here at Great Oaks. Uh, while he was at, at Freed Harmon, uh, you may have noticed in there if you saw the bulletin this last week, got to know Emma Barker, our own Emma Barker here at Great Oaks, and they have plans to be married next summer. So we're excited for you all and your plans. And Samuel, we're glad you're here. Glad you're here at Great Oaks. If you haven't got to meet Samuel or his family, uh, please do that. Um, welcome them to the family here at Great Oaks. Uh, we have several things coming up that we're going to try to highlight these next few weeks. A lot of, a lot of great opportunities as a church family uh, to be involved in service and growing together. Uh, let me start this morning with one that we begin three weeks from tonight. Whenever you get several hundred people together, uh, the best way to try to connect is to get in smaller groups of people. And whether that is Bible classes, whether that is focused fellowship groups, peer group activities, whatever it is, one of the ones we started last year that we go through the school year, and we're going to start again three weeks from tonight, is our Bible study small groups. You can sign up for these. We're going to have QR codes in the bulletin this week. We're going to have sign-up sheets out this week. Here's the way this works. Our ladies have been doing this for years, and so our ladies were way ahead of us on getting together in smaller groups to talk about life and to talk about faith. And so our guys said, we'd like something similar. Is there a way we can do it with guys? So what we have, we have guys groups, we have ladies groups. Uh, you sign up. We'd like people to sign up to be a leader if you can. You get together once a month. You can eat if you want to, but what we've said is just we don't want food to get in the way of this. Sometimes food preparation can become more of a strain on a group. We just want you to get together and have fun. If you have some chocolate chip cookies, if you want to have coffee or whatever, that's fine. But you'll get together, there'll be a passage of scripture for each group, and you'll answer six simple questions as you talk together. And the first few are things like, what's going on in your week uh, that, you're, that you're happy about? And go around the room. What's something you're struggling with, wrestling with? Go around the room. What's something in this passage we're looking at that tells us something about God? Go around the room. And then three other questions about the passage. And so it's very simple. It is a simple way to connect about life and Scripture. And we heard great things about that this last year. In fact, I know of at least one group that has continued meeting through the summer, even though we took a break for the summer. They kept on going. You know who you are. Uh, we know of at least two groups who have said, 
why don't we just not sign up and just have our same group next year? You know who you are too. And, and so we're, we're watching you, uh, but, but I'm glad you like each other. But we would like you to sign up. We, we will, we'd like to shuffle at least a little bit. We want to at least be able to add someone to your group if new people have moved in. Uh, and those of you that are new, we'd love for you to be part of this. We think you'll find this to be meaningful, simple, and encouraging. And so please be signing up for those. We'll meet our groups three weeks from tonight. So you got about two and a half weeks to sign up. I'm sure we'll add you late if you add late, like everyone does. But about two and a half weeks, three weeks to sign up. Hope you can be part of that. Let's have a prayer together, and then we'll study from God's Word. God, thank you so much for loving us. Uh, you are great. You are powerful. You are holy. You are worthy. And God, every time we come together in worship, we're reminded of what life is really all about. God, I pray that as we go out this week, we'll shine our lights for you in everything that we do. God, I'm thankful for this church family. I'm thankful for Samuel, that he's here, that you've guided his life to this place. I pray, God, we can be an encouragement to him as he will be to us. Help us, Lord, to serve alongside you for many years. God, please bless our Bible study small groups that are, we're organizing these next few weeks. I pray, Lord, that relationships will be built and strengthened. I pray that faith will be built and strengthened and that we'll be a tighter church family uh, because of this. God, as we open your word together, I pray that we will learn something from it, be challenged, be reminded. I pray, God, that what is said will be what you want to be said. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, tomorrow morning, all the fun begins. I, I don't know how you feel about that, but the traffic changes, the wake-up times change, the homework times change, all that stuff. Um, I, my son Riley came in. He saw me at the desk with the PowerPoint open. He saw it was about school, and I said, Riley, what do I need to say about school tomorrow? And he said, uh, it's terrible is what you need to say. And so not everybody's excited. Not everybody's on board. And I understand that. So if this lesson is some sort of PTSD, I apologize. That is, that is not the goal. Um, what, what I hope we get more than anything else out of this morning, getting ready for the schedule change that happens to everybody, is that we are people who go with God everywhere we go. Whether it is the summer schedule, whether it's the, whether it's the school schedule, whether it is uh, with friends, church, job, we are people who go with God. And so I reflected recently on some of those go passages in the Bible. So let me put a few of those up here. If you're keeping the outline, you can write those down with us. A few go passages in Scripture. John chapter 11, verses 5 through 7, is a, a go passage. They didn't know what Jesus had in mind, but Jesus was going to do something uh, that, would, that no one would ever forget. Um, because of God telling us about it here in Scripture. But what happens here in John 11, you remember Lazarus has died. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. Uh, his sisters, Mary and Martha, were also friends of Jesus. And they heard that Lazarus had died. It says in verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Judea is Jerusalem in the area around Jerusalem. Let us go to Judea again. Time to, it's time to go, guys. And they, they argued back against that. And the reason they argued is that people had been trying to kill Jesus just a short time before this. And they said, Jesus, they've been trying to kill you. You're going to go right back into the lion's den, back around Jerusalem, where, where they want you dead? 
And, and Jesus is going to tell them, you're going to see some great things here. God has a plan, and God is going to work. What I want us to notice, they didn't know why they were going. They didn't fully understand why they were going. They didn't know what God had in mind. But when they went with Jesus, what they found was that people there needed to see Jesus and that Jesus would change things forever through what they did. Another great go passage, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 and 29. I'm not going to read the, the whole thing, but I'll read those two verses. Here in Acts 8, you have a man named Philip, not the apostle Philip, but another Christian named Philip in the early chapters of Acts. He had been one of the seven, which we think were the first seven deacons in Jerusalem. An angel comes to Philip in verse 26 and tells him to go. He says, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert road. Philip doesn't know what he's doing. There's been no road map lined out. It just says, go. Go down there, and God's going to do something down there. Verse 29, so the angel speaks in verse 26. The spirit speaks in verse 29 and says, go up and join this chariot. Now, you might, if you know this story, the chariot has a man from Ethiopia, and he is reading his Bible in the book of Isaiah. And just as Philip comes up to join the chariot, he is reading a prophecy about Jesus. Philip didn't know why he was going. He, he didn't know what the plan was. But when he went where God wanted him to go, you know what he found out? There was something God wanted him to do there. Good things were waiting there for God to work through him. And the Ethiopian is baptized into Christ by the end of Acts chapter 8. Another great go passage, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. The very end of the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus gives the message to his church. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Uh, I've, what you'll find as you dig into to this passage is go is actually not a verb. I apologize. I know grammar stuff doesn't start till tomorrow. But go is not a verb. It is, but it is a, it is a description that might, you might could render it as you go. The only verb in this passage is make disciples. They're in verse 19. But what Jesus is saying is, as you go, wherever you go, try to encourage people to follow Jesus. They're going to see your example. They're going to see your life. They're going to have opportunities to speak and opportunities to talk. You don't always know where you're going. don't always know why you're there. But God can work through you wherever you go, as you go. And then one more is the one Clayton read for us just a second ago. Joshua chapter 1 verses 7, and I'll read verses 7 and 9. He read 7 through 9. It says, Only be strong and very courageous. This is God speaking to Joshua as he's about to take over his leadership of the people of Israel. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. Follow my word wherever you go, God says. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a great reminder that wherever life takes us, wherever the world and God's providence guides us, God goes with us. And when we get there, you know what we find? God has something there. God has something there that we don't even know about, that if we will be who we should be, uh, it's just waiting for us to be the example God wants us to be. Wherever we go, let's pull it together this way. Wherever we go, we want to go with a sense of identity and a sense of purpose. Identity, meaning we know who we are. We know whose we are. 
We know we, we are people who are trying to follow the Lord, who is living in our life, who is transforming our life. And we go with a sense of purpose, trying to shine the light of God wherever we go. Let me ask this question then. How do you build that mindset permanently? How does that really become who you are? Because I've had times, I'm sure you do also, maybe, maybe you walked in this morning, in one of those times where you don't really feel a sense of, of purpose. Maybe you haven't thought about your job in a while as a, as a place of purpose and a place where you go with carrying the identity of God. Maybe you haven't thought about your, your, all the places you go in life in that sense in a while. How do you, how do you build that? So what I want us to do for a couple minutes here is look at someone who had that mindset, and it's the prophet Isaiah. There are several people you could pick in the Bible for this. I picked Isaiah for two reasons. Number one, he is really, really committed to God. Let me share what I have in mind there. The first verse of the prophet Isaiah, his book, tells us that Isaiah prophesied during the reigns of four different kings. Four different kings. Kings came... Kings went, Isaiah kept speaking the Lord's word. Some were good, some were not. The culture changed, Isaiah kept speaking the Lord's word. Isaiah was so committed, he wrote 66 chapters, more than any other prophet in the whole Bible. Isaiah was so committed that if if we understand this right, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 37, it's talking about people of faith. He says, some of them were stoned, some of them were sawn in two. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but tradition says that's talking about Isaiah. That Isaiah was so committed to God that when the king, they say it was King Manasseh. Again, that's not in the Bible. That's tradition. We may find out it's wrong when we get to heaven. But but tradition says King Manasseh told Isaiah, you're going to stop speaking for God or I'm going to saw you in two. And Isaiah said, I'm going to keep living for God. He was very, very committed. So I picked him for that reason. The second reason I picked him is because We know how he built that mentality because God tells us about it. And God tells us about it in Isaiah chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you may want to open there for the next couple of minutes. I've got the verses on the screen, one or two at a time. You may want to have the whole context open in front of you. That's up to you. But Isaiah 6 shows us how Isaiah had this mentality that said, I am going to live for God and have a mission and a purpose for God wherever I go. And I think he saw three things here. Three things that happened in Isaiah 6 that I hope you and I can add to our lives as we begin the fall semester schedule in our lives. Number one, first thing that God showed Isaiah before he sends him out as a prophet, he shows him himself. Isaiah saw the Lord. We don't know what Isaiah was doing before this. We got no clue. He's living his life. He's doing what people do in in around 700 B.C., and uh, he's a Jew, we know that, we know he's, he's living uh, in, in the promised land with God's people. But God gives him this vision in Isaiah 6 verse 1 that tells us, again, this is how Isaiah begins his journey as a prophet of God. It says, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord, there it is, sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple, Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Let me pause there just a second. So he sees this vision, and it's God in his throne room, his heavenly throne room. You see a similar vision in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. 
But here Isaiah gets a glimpse, however literal, into the throne room of God. And God, he sees God as the king. He sees him with this train of his robe, fills the temple. He's, he's so big that the whole temple is filled with his power. And then there's these seraphim. What, what is a seraphim? We don't know a whole lot. It sounds like there's some sort of angel, some sort of spiritual being. It's the only place we see this term is in this section. The, the word itself has something to do with fire. And so we wonder, did they look like fire in some way? Was, was there something, some fire element to them? We're not sure, but they're called seraphim, which has the background of that word as fire. And, and they are worshiping God. Now, we think about angels for just a second. Angels, Peter tells us, 2 Peter, they're more powerful than us. In fact, they're much, much more powerful than us. Later in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is going to tell us about a time when the Assyrian army is coming against Jerusalem. And King Hezekiah is going to pray, God help us, they are much bigger than us. We cannot defeat this army. And God uses one angel, just one and goes out and wipes out 185,000 people in this Assyrian army that were coming to attack Jerusalem. In fact, Herodotus, the Greek historian, he says what happened was bubonic plague. That, that's how that army disappeared. We don't, all we know from history, that army disappeared. The Bible tells us an angel is what did that. One angel. More powerful, powerful enough to take down 185,000 people in one night. And you know what these angels are doing in Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah's vision? They are worshiping God. They are falling down before God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Angels who are so much more powerful than us, they worship God's power. And then verse 4, The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of Him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. It's interesting to me that the first thing God shows Isaiah is Himself. It's almost... It's almost as if God is trying to say this. Isaiah, if you're going to go with the sense of mission and purpose you need to go with, the first thing you need to know is who I am. You need to know I'm the king. You need to know I'm more powerful than anything you're going to face. You need to know I've got strength that is high above this world. You're not going by yourself, Isaiah. You're going with the king. The second thing Isaiah saw, Isaiah then looks at himself and realizes how inadequate he is compared to God. Whenever we see God clearly, I think that's going to be our response. Whenever we really have those moments of realizing who God is, what He's done, what he, who He is in our lives even, what He's done in our lives, I think we'll look at ourselves and say, I'm so unworthy to be here. I'm so unworthy to be in the presence of God. And that's what Isaiah does. Verse 5 says, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, why, why does he use that phrase, I'm a man of unclean lips? I, I don't know if he's saying, I'm unworthy to worship you, God. Even my words are not worthy. When I see your greatness and my sinfulness, I'm among a people who are full of sin, and yet I'm seeing God. I don't belong here, is Isaiah's sense. By the way... You look around Scripture, those are the types of people God calls to serve Him, isn't it? People who didn't feel like they were worthy for the task. If you're thinking this morning, I don't know if I'm worthy for the task, well, good, you're in the right place because none of us are, and you're the type of person God has always used because it's His power 
and not yours. And so Isaiah learns that. I, I don't belong here. And then one of those seraphim in verse 6 flies over to Isaiah with a burning coal in his hand. Remember that fire background? Uh, maybe, maybe that's what's going on here. But he takes a coal from the altar with tongs and touches Isaiah's mouth with it in verse 7. And maybe, remember he said, I'm a person of unclean lips. Maybe that was a way of purifying Isaiah's speech, his worship, his life. He touched my mouth in verse 7 and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. So now Isaiah sees himself a little differently. Not only is he unworthy, but he has now been purified by God himself. God's angel himself has come and purified his life. He is He has seen God, he has seen himself, God's power, his unworthiness, but now he has the power and the blessing and the forgiveness of God in his life. As you go about your life, I hope you see what God has done in you, that you have the power and the blessing and the forgiveness of God in your life if you're a Christian. And then so then number three, after Isaiah sees God, he sees himself, he sees his mission. God speaks in verse 8. He says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? People have always noticed that there's an I and a us in that phrase. And perhaps this is a, a hint at God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who is both unified as one and also us. God's probably also talking to His heavenly court here. Who will go for us? And Isaiah volunteers. He's seen God. He's seen what God has done. And he says, I want to go. Here am I, send me. I'm ready. Somebody said, well, Isaiah's the only one there. I understand that. I understand that. But he volunteers, doesn't he? There's been other people God has spoken to who have said, God, I don't want to go. God comes to Moses very directly. Moses, you're the one I want. Moses says, not not me, God, not me. Send somebody else. Here, God just speaks it out to the, to the throne room. And Isaiah's volunteering. We, we are a volunteer people of God. God does not make you do anything. He does not make me do anything. We choose when we sign up to be Christians. God, I, I want to go with you. I want to serve you with all that I have. And so Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And so God tells him, go. There it is. Go. And God's going to do great things through Isaiah's life. Wouldn't always have success. In fact, those next few verses, that's what God says. A lot of people aren't going to listen to you. But you keep doing what God wants you to do. Isaiah saw the Lord. He saw himself. He saw his mission. I hope you and I will see that we have a mission from God. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the apostles. Because in the New Testament, the apostles, as, as they're in Jerusalem and people are being baptized, there's thousands of people who have been baptized into Christ. There were 3,000 in Acts chapter 2 alone, and it's continued to grow. They're now to 5,000 people as you get to Acts 4 and 5. And they're standing before the Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders say to them, you are going to stop teaching and preaching about Jesus. You see that in verse 18? You're going to stop. And they say, verse 19, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We have seen something, the apostles say, and we can't help but talk about it. And as Christians, I hope that's our mindset. We have seen something. 
We have seen God, how great He is. We have seen what He's done in our life. We have seen that the most important thing in the world is to live for God and encourage other people to do the same. And that's who we're going to be. And, and whether we are threatened or whether we're told not to, we're, we're going to stand with the Lord. We're not going to be ugly about it. We're not going to be rude about it. But we're going to stand with the Lord. And that's what they say here. We have seen something. Let me, let me challenge all of us with this. If you have those times where you're not feeling that sense of purpose, that sense of mission, that sense of you're really living for something for God, maybe you need to revisit one of those three things Isaiah saw. Maybe you need to revisit what you believe about God. Is He really the King? Is He really powerful enough to guide you and lead you? Maybe you need to revisit what God has done in you. Has God really changed me? Do I really see myself as forgiven? Unworthy, yes, but forgiven and, and sent out by God. Do I understand my mission? That there's bigger things I'm living for here than just getting a grade, just getting a paycheck, just, just going through life. There's bigger things. Maybe I need to revisit one of those things. Our mission, as I understand 1 John 2, 6, part of it, is to live like Jesus. If you and I will walk the way Jesus walked, 1 John 2, 6 says, if we say we abide in Him, we need to be living like Him. People need to see us living like Jesus. Isaiah was instilled with that mindset, and it never changed. I hope you and I will do the same. Whether you are excited about tomorrow morning or not, uh, what I hope, what I hope is, first of all, I hope you have a great school year. Whether it's your kids, your grandkids, whether it's you, whether you're a teacher, whether you're staff, I hope it's a great year. I hope your relationships go great. I hope your test scores go great. I hope your, uh, I hope your friendships and learning, I hope you grow from the challenges. I hope you overcome the challenges with the help of God. I hope all those things go well, but I hope even more than that, we remember that we're living for something much bigger than all that stuff and that someone needs to see that. Someone in your life needs to see who you are this year. There's a reason God has brought you here. What, I don't know what it is. You may not know what it is. There's a reason God has brought you to where you're at. Uh, he, says, he says to go. As you go, try to make disciples. Wherever you go, the Lord God is with you. Someone needs to see you this year live like a Christian. Someone in your class, someone you work with, they're going to need to see the way you handle things. And I hope our mentality, like Isaiah, will be, God, send me. Let me be that person to try to show you to the world. Maybe we need to say to ourselves as we enter a new school year, God, send me to be a strength to someone who is hurting. God, send me to show kindness in a world that is full of anger and meanness. God, send me to be a friend to someone who needs to see Christ lived out in a real person. God, send me to invite someone to church who needs to come meet God's family. God, send me to show that I have bigger priorities in my life than just the stresses of worldly success. God, send me to show Jesus to a world that needs to see real faith. As Jesus prayed about His apostles, Lord, You've sent me as You have sent me. I send them. May we see ourselves as a sent people. Someone needs to see you, even this week. Let's make sure we don't forget who we are. Let's live it out like we should. This will be our final statement. We never fully know what God has in mind. God brings people together. God knows what He's doing. He ties events together in ways that we can't even comprehend or think about. But God has brought you to a certain place with a certain group of people that 
that you're with, God may have something in mind. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who God is, what He has done in you, the mission He's handed to you. And we remember that. May we not just go, may we go with God. For the Lord God is with us wherever we go. If there's anything we can help you with this morning, privately, if you'd like to talk or pray or have a study together about God's Word, let us know. We honestly are trying to follow the Lord. We want to help each other do that. Please let us know. But if you're here this morning and you're ready to take a public step of faith, we'd love to help you with that. Uh, if you're interested in becoming a Christian, this is how you become a Christian in the New Testament. You have this learning time. You hear about Jesus that, that eventually brings you to a place of faith, that you believe Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And when you believe that, you got a choice. Do you want to give your life to it or not? We hope you will. And when you make that choice, the Bible calls it repentance. I want to live for God. I want to turn my life around. And you confess your faith in Jesus and you have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. If you're ready to take that next step, whatever that is, maybe you're ready to become a Christian this morning. We'd love to see you baptized into Christ. Or if we can pray for you as a church family about anything, we'd love to do that as well. If you need to respond publicly, you're invited to come to the front now while we stand and while we sing. My gracious Savior, face to face, when all is done, is that His voice I am hearing, come away, my precious one, is